Hello and welcome to California episode. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, we got this is a new record. We got I think a syllable and a half in before Nick broke down in self-referential giggling. Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argeris and this week I'm looking for the best book about California to help me. Our two <laughs> high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Oh my God, Nick, if you're looking for California, I was in California a few years ago oh. and it was the first time in my life it, I ever heard somebody say the word Shah unironically. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you're looking for a book about California, I brought a book from John Muir, 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 Muir. Muir. Um, a book about John Muir, about his time that he hung out in California for like half of his life and just bombed around Yosemite. <laughs> <laughs> that one time he was there for all his entire life. Yeah, for, for like half of his life. It's called the yeah. Mountains of California. Uh, yo, dudes. Oh, this week I brought a California book by California's own Joan Didion, National Book Award winner, Pulitzer Prize nominee, famously criticized for um, being a hack. But oh, she's no. not a hack. This week, I brought a wonderful, wonderful book called Slouching Towards Bethlehem. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, <laughs>, <laughs> I feel like Ian brought all these accolades for his um, for his writer, like book award winner, famous hack. I would like to point out that John Muir pretty much single handedly founded the national park system. So pretty Just, big deal. Ian, what's wrong with Joe? <laughs> Honestly, I feel like he's setting like, himself up for a farm story here. Joe, do you feel you, Joe's ready to start the competition? I guess Joe, who hurt you? What we're trying to say is who hurt you? Joe's moved past small talk and he's ready to go for your jugular, Ian. Are you ready I for just, that? I just want to assert that I am here and I will be listened to. Yeah, and I have a knife. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> it's interesting because Joe is bringing such violence today and Muir is a man who is really right. meditative and not violent. And Joe They're is famously just chill. Ignoring that. Mm -hmm. uh, the competition is calling, says Joe, and I must stab. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what I think is cool about California, guys? Uh, let's go around the room. I like to. Folks, like Joe, why don't you kick us off here? We'll all go around. And, yeah. What, what's. Yep. What's. Oh, ooh, we, are, we can like just keep listening about California. Mm. I think the cool thing about California is that it's so good at so many things. Oh. Like you think of like who's got the best weather. California, who makes yeah. the best movies? California, who makes the best technology? California, well, China, but like by way of California, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Like, I think it's so good at so many things. What do you guys like about California? <laughs> Boy, so this is scripted. a lot of pressure. I wasn't expecting yeah. to compliment California no. today, I'll be honest. No. But it, it does um, lead directly into the game that I brought. If oh, you would just before I went right to that. It is okay. scripted. We can hear it a mile it, away. Jesus. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, this game is called California he versus the field. Ian, he didn't, didn't even, even give us an think. opportunity to answer the question. He didn't even he does not it was, care what we think. Joe, what's are you? 
Okay. We're, you can let, name things that you like about California. This is like, okay, Nick, Nick, what's happening here is like when a, when a teacher says, when a teacher like <laughs> clearly has a point that they want to make and they ask mm-hmm. questions that are fishing and they yeah. say, anyone, anyone, here's my thought. That's yeah. what happens. <laughs> the right answer. Because yeah. you never get a response. <laughs> 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 or because you don't trust your students. Like yeah. You okay. Yeah. I do this thing in my class where I pull sticks, but like the students don't know whose names are on the sticks. So like when I need the right answer, I pull the stick out of the jar, but then I just call on the smart kid, regardless of what the stick in front of me says. What? How? Okay. That's wow. Uh, that's wow. actually deeply wow. problematic, Joe. I think. <laughs> wow. Wow. I haven't entirely wrapped my head around what you just said, but it seems crazy that one, you know whose names are on each stick ahead of time. And two, no, that's a little bit, so that's a little bit uh, uh, obsessive. And two, so, are you just looking for right answers? Sometimes you just got to move things along. Like sometimes Seriously. class discussion is about like exploration and students like probing their own thinking and like defending their opinions. But sometimes class discussion is about like moving this shit along. Guys. So, sometimes it's lunch. Famously, literary criticism is about finding the right answer as efficiently as possible uh, with as little uh, struggle. Mm. Um, hey, Joe, the, maybe let's yeah. put a pin in that game and introduce <sighs> maybe introduce the show. I never know when to do the game when it's like a broad theme because like so you go right into the introduction. <laughs> The next week, it's going to be like, my name is Joe Holsher. I'm a high school English teacher, and I brought a game that I'd like to play right now. <laughs> my name is Game. I brought a game. Well, welcome, Litheads, to You Don't Know Lit, a weekly, or as we call it, strongly podcast, where every week we pick a theme, and Joe and Ian, two high school English teachers, bring book recommendations. And just to upset one of them, we pick a winner. Every week. And to keep us on track, we have some show rules here. Rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers. Rule number two, omit needless words, Joe. And rule no number three, that already broken. And rule number three, only winning matters today that Joe has made that abundantly clear. <laughs> That's, um, it's exciting. It's exciting to be back on a, an episode where only winning matters because we've had a month of cop outs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And here we are. Not planned. Yeah. Um, I just want to remind you of the 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 one shadow rule which we've always mm-hmm. adhered to and haven't really strayed away from. And you guys are getting really good at following this. That shadow rule is, of course, famously play it as it lays. And I think that if we follow that, we'll we'll do well today, yeah. gentlemen. Let's Joe, all shake hands. And have just a good been round. following that rule. Hey, Joe, mm-hmm. you have 30 seconds to tell me what your book is about. Nick, when John Muir was in his 20s, he was a promising young engineer living in Wisconsin and making a pretty good living. He actually wasn't particularly well educated. Um, he wasn't allowed to go to school. His parents made him memorize the Bible for his education, but he went to the University of Wisconsin anyway and was pretty ingenious. Inge- um, then an accident at the plant sent a file flying into his eye and he went blind in that eye, followed by going sympathetic pathetically blind in the other eye when he could see again he quit his job and went for a walk he didn't stop for a thousand miles this is his book about the yosemite valley in california Okay, I, I have so many questions I, first so of many all, questions uh-huh. right. first of all but Ian, when you say a file do you mean like a sheaf of papers yeah <laughs> the, the whole cab to hit him in the eye <laughs> okay no more questions Ian, your question, time is, question, no. is sympathetic okay. blindness the same as like sympathetic pregnancy mm, i think so i think like one eye feels bad for the other one and it's like hey uh, solidarity brother nobody understands if you're kidding or not is it real no what? okay so sympathetic blindness is real like you're you lose vision in one eye and the other eye to compensate 
that can't be the right word to just Gives totally up. give up. Yeah. Just, just bails. <laughs> just, You've heard of lazy eye. This is this the is, ultimate. This is quitting. Laziest eye. <laughs> uh, Ian, your time has started. Yeah. Slouching Toward Bethlehem by Joan Didion is a book of essays about California and California adjacent places. Some of these essays are short. Some of them are longer. It was written in the 1960s and it changed the way I think about California. Great. And then a, and then a file. <laughs> file. Sure. Flew did, through the Joe, did Joe and Didion go sympathetically blind is what we need to know. Joe, do you think it's a good time to start your game now? Oh, I would love <laughs> to play my game. Guys, this game is called California versus the field. Let me get a clean take of that when my dogs aren't fucking barking in the background. <laughs> This game is called California versus the field. You're familiar with this concept, right? So like of games, of no, fields? Of, of fields. Yes. Of California? Uh, guys, is this a farm story? Farm story. <laughs> 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 no. So like when you bet, sometimes like going into the football season, for example, you'll have a dominant team. It'll be like, guys, the Philadelphia Eagles are so freaking good this year. At the beginning of the season, you have to put money. Do you bet on the Philadelphia Eagles or do you bet on the field to win the Super Bowl? Where you're literally putting the Philadelphia Eagles like one dominant thing against everything else that might beat it and seeing who wins. This sounds is like a, a stupid. I'm not a bettor. This sounds like a really stupid way to do things. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, in terms of odds, mm-hmm. you should you should always bet the field because right because the field has many football teams and the Philadelphia Eagles just have the one. So in this game, I'm going to give you a category. The category is going to be things like biggest earthquake or number of billionaires, something like that. And you simply have to tell me, did this thing happen in California? Like, does California win this or does the field win this? So if you think the biggest earthquake ever in the world is in California, you say California. If you think it is somewhere else in the world, you say the field. All right. Hut, hut, hike. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Number one, billionaires. Billionaires. <laughs> does California have the most billionaires or does the field have the most billionaires? Ooh, this is a good question, Joe. Joe, this is a good question. I think question. we're all a little surprised. Um, so, all right. Blub, blub, blub. Uh, oh, Nick, thank you for blubbing in. Oh, wait, hold on. I want to I blub in some um, mm-hmm. like this. Cha. <laughs> yeah nick uh thank you for um, i'm gonna in. say the field um the field. because of uh almost exclusively uh saudi arabia <laughs> <laughs> i would also say the field and the i will not field. explain my answer um guys ca- california has 124 billionaires in it oh god not a great start ian for yeah. us that seems like it's the most 124 at one time Living yeah, at any given it, time, right? Um, California has 124 billionaires in it. It is the largest state. The most billionaires are in California, followed by New York, Florida, and then Texas. However, the field, the rest of the world, has like 3,000 billionaires. Which, oh! yeah, really? That was a number that surprised me. 3,000 billionaires in the world. All right, number two, serial killer victims serial killer victims in this case um california is california and the field is the rest of the united states 
Yeah. Well, I don't think serial killers exist outside of the United States, right? Mm, um, I don't know. I'm going to say, I'm going to say California. There's just so, yeah, gonna, they, they really thrive there. I would agree. I would also say California. Yeah. Uh, refuse to explain myself. Okay. California perfect. has had the most serial killer victims since um, the date has been kept since like 1971 when serial killers were presumably invented. Um, Texas, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry, California is is number one with almost 2,000 serial killed uh, in that time. Uh, Texas killed? is yeah. number two with just under 1,000 killed in that time. Um, although some of these get shifted pretty heavily towards California because of California's massive population. If you adjust per serial serial killed per capita, oh, per, capita. per capita, and I hope you do, Lidheads, do right. this on the helm. Um, oh, actually, when, I, when I do my serial killer math, I always operate on per capita, just for you know purity of the the sport. Right. Statistics. So if you do per yes. capita, you can be forgiven because Alaska shoots to the top of the list with Ooh. something like fifteen <laughs> times the next state. Thanks. Nice. All right, guys. I've got uh, another. So, uh, you did not clarify who won that one. Uh, California is. California uh, is. Okay, great, great, great. They have okay. the most serial killed people. Sweet. All right. Ian, we're doing great. Yeah, yeah, we're crushing it. Earthquake size. California, famous for its big old earthquakes. Has California had the biggest earthquake ever recorded or has the field had the biggest the earthquake field. ever recorded? I'm going to say the field and I'm going to refuse to explain my reasoning. Mm-hmm. Um, this feels like a trick question. Yeah, it does. Um, I'm very, I I should not have spoken so abruptly. I'm going to say California. Oh, we're differing for the first time. You punk. I'm not going to, I'm not going to win if I keep guessing the same things as Ian. (laughs) That's very hard to win that way. Um, California's largest earthquake ever is the 1903 San Francisco earthquake, famously massive, 7.9 on the Richter scale. It Ooh. is nothing compared to the 9.2 <laughs> California, the, uh, 9.2 earthquake that rocked Alaska. Um, Alaska. Uh, the, God damn it, Alaska. Alaska. <laughs> 7.9 puts California just outside of the top 10 when it comes to wow. earthquakes. Is that the biggest one wow. ever, Joe, was in Alaska? 9.2 is in Alaska. And one time I saw something that explained how the Richter scale works. It's not a linear development in the Richter scale. So you would think that like a 10.0 earthquake is like 20% bigger than an 8.0 earthquake. It's actually a um, incremental exponential 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 there exponential there development so a 9.2 earthquake is something like twice as powerful as a 7.2 earthquake just goes to show you what does it show you uh <laughs> very good alaska's terrifying that's what it shows you all right i'm gonna bounce through the rest of this very quickly um the hottest temperature ever recorded was in death valley california 134 mm-hmm. degrees um ca- yep um past uh just behind that is furnace creek and a different spot in kuwait um thir- california produces 13 percent of all food produced in america the next biggest mm. state produces something like six percent of all food mm. um and the final one i want to talk about is national parks who has the most national parks california or somebody out there in the field no no okay are you saying when you say the field are you saying cumulatively cumulatively, no i am saying like another place okay so someone else okay someone else gotcha Gotcha. i'm gonna say thank you for china i'm gonna say california has it I'm going to say the field. Yeah, the that's field. a smart choice. There, Ian, do you have a guess of who might have it? 
I think it's Alaska. Alaska. Uh, the correct answer is Cha. Nick, you get another Cha point. It is California. Ooh. They right. eke out Alaska. California has nine. Alaska has eight. They love green space in California. <laughs> yeah, gentlemen, thank you for playing California versus the field. Um, you've done very well. I don't know who won. I wasn't paying very close attention. I, I, like, I just like yeah, to say California, won. rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Joe, this is all your San Andreas fault. You're not allowed to do that without asking permission ahead it's of prepared, time. Some prepared remarks. I just did some prepared remarks. <laughs> all right. Nick, talking about tr- being trammeled in the harsh Wisconsin winter, John Muir was born in Scotland. His dad thought that the Church of Scotland was a little too permissive, so he moved his whole family to the icy, the icy what woods of the Church of Scotland. That's a that's a pretty strong take. What is happening? Wow! Wow! <laughs> too permissive. Yeah, he didn't like the Church of Scotland. He thought they're a little a little soft, a little soft on irreligiosity. Um, so he moved his family to what of all year places. Is it? Wisconsin. This would be like in the 1850s, 1850s. Um, John Muir would dodge the draft for the Civil War. I wonder why Wisconsin is so conservative these days. (laughs) (laughs) It's our founding heritage. (laughs) That Jesus guy was a little bit too loose for me. (laughs) We need to get to Wisconsin. (laughs) Tighten up. That's where. Let's go to Wisconsin, where they really know how to yeah how to break it down. Um, so th- he moved his whole family to Wisconsin. He, it was him. It was his wife. It was his bunch of kids, including John. And they moved to Wisconsin and bought about 80 acres of farmland just outside Portage, Wisconsin. Beautiful area, Litheads. Beautiful, Beautiful area. area. I, I, I have, I have a Portage fact for you. No. Um, okay. <laughs> John Muir was removed from school almost immediately because of presumably permissiveness. Removed? Um, Removed, yeah. His dad sent him to school. By his parents. He sent him to school for a couple of months and he said, you don't need no fancy education. Everything you need to learn is right here in this book. And he made John Muir memorize the Bible, of which, according to John Muir, he Almost did entirely. He said he had the entire New Testament down and 75% of the Old Testament before he eventually left home. It's that Old Testament that'll get you. Gets you all the time. It's (laughs) all the beat. Good for him. That's a lot. That's a long, that's a long book. It's a big book. (laughs) He said that he memorized it, quote, by heart and by sore flesh, which. Famously, famously, uh, one of the best ways to make someone memorize something. Mm -hmm. Corporal punishments. Yep, perfect. When he was growing up, he was kind of ingenious. He spent his spare time inventing contraptions that would make his life a little bit easier. And when he was 18 years old, he had invented a couple of things that he thought were worth showing off. Um, He had invented an alarm clock that threw you out of bed when it got, when it went off. And he invented an automatic (laughs) horse feeding machine. He wanted to do something with these inventions. A neighbor encouraged him to bring them to the Wisconsin State Fair. So he did. And he got a write-up in the Wisconsin State Journal, which called him, quote, an ingenious whittler. He also, based on this, uh, presumably this write-up, was admitted to the University of Wisconsin, uh, where he studied engineering and a little bit of botany. It was a simpler time. All you had to do is get called out in the Wisconsin State Journal as an ingenious whittler, and you could get into a public ivy. He was a fine whittler. Some say the best. I would love to be. I would love to be referred to that way. If you guys just want to call me the ingenious whittler throughout the rest of this episode, I would not mind. (laughs) Well, it depends. What have you whittled? 
Um, yeah, you're gonna have to start whittling if you want to get that nickname. That's for sure. You're, no, you're right. I'm just gonna throw out whittling nicknames. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I gotta earn it. You Joseph, can we skip it. ahead uh, past um, his Catholic upbringing? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to um, maybe to talk about um, how how much why all the trees are named after him. Yep. Great. Great question. John Muir went to college, dropped out of college. Uh, Civil War came up, dodged the draft, went to Canada for a little while, got <laughs> hired at that engineering firm. And then after this... <laughs> oh, casually dodges this, the draft. All right, keep going. Connect yeah. <laughs> Canada. All right. And then after this um, engineering accident, when he regained his sight, he thought like, well, I my life could end any second, right? Like I could lose my eyes that I look upon God's creation with. And he went on this walk. He walked from Wisconsin to the Gulf of Mexico, at which point he saw a boat and he thought, I wonder where that's boat, where that boat's going. He got on the boat and he ended up in San Francisco, California. This life is very kind of happy go lucky. He Mm. just bounces here and hither and yon. He does hither and yon. He really does kind of seem like this happy traveler who like nothing bad ever happens to. Like he talks about how when he moved to California, he would, you know, he had like jobs that he would work in California. Uh, Like he was a sheep herder for a little while. He would like work at factories, stuff like that. But anytime he could, he would uh, head out into Yosemite. And he said that all he would ever take to Yosemite is a little bit of water, a little bit of tea, a crust of bread and his um, copy of Ralph Waldo Emerson with him. And he would like go into this totally unsettled, totally wild, like, like kind of totally alone and camp in Yosemite with this water, bread and Emerson. Do you think he murdered like fish or something? How did he live? Because a crust of bread is not going to last you very long. Is it possible he's a serial killer? I think he must have hunted and fished. I think he had to hunt and fish. But one of the wild things about this book is he'd like, he doesn't talk about that. Like this book is never about like, this is how I got by and this is how I survived. I hunted this rabbit or I caught this fish. He instead, well, Joe, what's this book about about then? Yeah, this book is a sometimes painstaking detailing of what he sees in California or I'm sorry, (laughs) what he sees specifically in Yosemite. And I want to be totally clear. It is beautiful. Right. Like he describes Yosemite for an audience. um, Essentially, this is what happens. He comes to Yosemite and he says, when I saw Yosemite for the first time, I saw the inner workings of God's mind. Right. Like when I saw nature, when I saw Yosemite, I, I thought this is it. Like this is divine. This is totally divine. This is how God thinks. He then realized that he like this is in. 1870. This is just post civil war. This is reconstruction. Like the West is being settled at this time. There are people moving out to California, but like it's not particularly well known. And the other thing that's happened at this time is the United States government has suddenly found itself with all of this Western land that needs to be improved. And there, we, we talked about this briefly in the Oklahoma episode, right? Where uh, Boomtown, the Oklahoma City episode, they had all this Western land that needed to be improved and they weren't really sure how to efficiently do it. And one of the ways that they did it is they pretty much just gave it away hand over fist to anybody who could improve it. That meant lumber barons, 
That meant railroad companies, that meant farmers and ranchers and settlers that were going out west. And John Muir walks into Yosemite. He sees God's mind as he as he talks about it. And he goes, holy shit, this can't be taken over by ranchers like this can't be taken over by loggers. This can't be taken over by railroad companies. Right. Like I have to tell people what's here. And he proceeded to start writing a series of letters back to um, some newspapers kind of all over America, largely in San Francisco, basically saying, I'm in Yosemite. I'm on the front lines. I am the wilderness of California. This is what I see. And what he sees, like the way he describes it is shockingly beautiful, right? Like he writes at the sentence level, this book is poetry. Right. Like this book makes you fall in love with the landscape, like on a sentence level. Oh, it sounds like there was another thing coming or like a butt. Yeah. Um, OK. Yeah. There, there's a butt that's going to follow. Super racist. Joe, like, <laughs> did you did you enjoy it? OK. Sounds like there's a butt coming. Yeah, there's, there's a, a big pause. Coming. But after I asked, did you, you save that it? for I'm, Tiffany's Joe? Yeah, I could save that for Tiffany's. What's the point of this book? Like, who should read this? Is this like to to fall in love with the the parks of uh, uh, California, or is this to learn more about him as a person, or both? This book has almost no autobiographical information in it. Oh, right? okay. like he, he has almost no sentences that begin with. I did this. I did that. There's some, right? Like he talks about um, building a cabin, his first two that he lived in his first two summers in California. And he built the cabin so that like one corner of it hung over a stream so that like water ran through his cabin and he could hear it all the time running there, which is really cool. He tells him. So all the all the backstory you were saying that was just that was just ba- your backstory. It, it was largely was some of that book. some of that is in there, but that's largely just biographical information about John Muir. Got it. Other information, like he tells a story about um, in this wild thunderstorm, like this raging thunderstorm. He talks about climbing this hundred foot tree just to see what it's like to be at the top of a tree in a thunderstorm. Right, like that's a little bit of like. I so first person idiot. narrative. Is, is well, and then here. it's crazy because when he like he acknowledges that in the book and he says like then there's this scene where he put a bunch of rocks in his pants and jumped in the river. <laughs> well, he acknowledges that in the book. He says like, I know this seems crazy. Like, I know it seems crazy to climb this hundred foot tree during the thunderstorm. But like, I know these trees. I spend my life looking at these trees and talking to these trees and asking them from once from whence they came and where they're going. I know which tree is going to be okay to climb in a thunderstorm, right? Like I know this most flawed logic ever. (laughs) So are you familiar uh, with, you um, must not have heard me say that he asked the tree from whence it came. Are are you familiar with the series of like uh, death in Yellowstone? No. I, I say series because I feel like there's more than one book, but there, there's a very famous book called Death Deaths in Yellowstone, mm-hmm. and it is literally just like a, a, a logging, a, like a like a, a factual chronicling mm-hmm. from a park ranger from all of these deaths in Yellowstone over the years. And I would say 99% of them is from people who are overconfident with nature and just walk in <laughs> there being like, I know what I'm doing, guys. And then they, oh. they just all die. In one of Bill Bryson's books, he tells a story about Yellowstone, right? And he says, hey, like there's all these hot springs in Yellowstone. And like a lot of them are like crazy hot and like they'll scald you if you go in. Just the name. But the kids that work at Yellowstone is like junior park rangers. They know which ones are like 
hot tub hot, right? And one of the things that they do is they go out into the wilderness and they hang out in these like mud pots and like like bathe in these hot springs, right? right. That are just like beautiful. Um, and he says, and then about once a summer, like some drunk kid wandering back to his campsite falls into like an actual scalding hot one and is burned alive. Yeah, so uh, love yeah. Love it. Uh, a pretty good wreck. It's a good yeah. car uh, road trip book. Uh, FC Yellowstone <laughs> when you're in Yellowstone. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also a real downer. <laughs> okay, so Nick, you asked me who this book is for. I think it's a really good question because I think this book is for exactly two groups of people. Oh. Number one, I think it's for people living in the cities of America in 1895 who have okay. not seen this stuff. Relatable. Right? Time travelers. Yep. Time travelers would be fantastic. The other people that this is for is people who are about to visit or who are visiting one of these places, right? Like I wish so much that I had this book um, when I was in California, when I had gone to Yosemite, that I could sit in Yosemite and read passages of this book and look at the flowers that John Muir is talking about. Look at the trees that John Muir is talking about. Look at the snow on the mountains that he devotes an entire chapter to that he talks about, that he talks about like, guys, we're in Wisconsin. We have a lot of snow. He talks about snow in ways that I've never seen people talk about snow before, right? Like he describes it poetically. He describes it beautifully. That's who this book is for. It is written beautifully, like genuinely beautiful poetic um, language is in this book. It is interesting. It gives you a peek into a different world. And um, yeah, it's super good. Super good. Guys, next week we have a very exciting theme recommended oh. not by one, not by two, mm. but by three people separately. <laughs> the Lidheads <laughs> are making their voice heard. They're, yeah. they're spreading their wings and roaring, you might say. The Lidheads have spoken, at least the ones that are sending emails and uh, submitting themes. So if there's anybody else uh, out there who wants to hear anything except for the theme of dragons, just let us know. But next week, we're going to be doing dragons. You know, I think it really speaks to our demographic is what's going on here. The right? It's like, you know, it's like yeah. they like dragons. Yeah, so next week, dragons, please. Right. I, I'm, I'm afraid the lit heads aren't getting this. The theme was recommended by one lit head. An unrelated rec lit head recommended a book about dragons. And then yet another unrelated lit head recommended a another book about dragons. Yes. Thank you for that clarity. I think I would like to uh, swoop in on oh, a book that's good. called Dragon Rider. This mm. is recommended by Murat. Uh, it's by a German author named Cornelia Funke. Mm. <laughs> Funke, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure she's she knows a lot about dragons because... Oh, and if Ian's going to bring a book called Dragon Rider, I think it's only fair that I bring a book called Dragon Slayer. Um, it's presumably about killing dragons. I'm not totally sure. In the shadow uh, of wings, humans fight for survival. I'm excited because on Amazon, it has five stars, like just five stars and 5,000 ratings. Cool. But it's also... 512 <laughs> pages <laughs> long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Joe, what have you done to yourself? So I'm excited. Thank you, Lithead. Andrew, I am looking forward to reading this. Uh, Ian, Ian DeJung, yep. Uh, yep. tell us about California. My book is interested in, in the blank spaces on the California map. So 
I, I, maybe I want to start with not quite a game, but sort of an exercise. Like jumping jacks. It's a little word association exercise. Okay. And it's as simple as this. I'm going to say the word California, and then you guys are going to go back and forth and give me as many associations with California as you can. Does this make sense? Yeah, Love yes. So you say California. Who goes first after that? Um, since, Joe, you've already talked a lot, we're going to go ahead and he start sure with has, Joe. sure has, Ian. Uh, we're going to go ahead and start with Joe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's, that only seems fair. Yep. Uh, here we go, right? Here we go. Leadheads, please do be sitting down for this because it, it will be dizzying. Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. Uh, California. Sunshine. Gold. Do I go now? Yeah. Yes, Joe, you go next. <laughs> mines. Gold mines. Oh, no, no, no. You're riffing on California, not on what Nick said. Oh, I thought oh, I thought we were building on top of each other. Okay. California. Sunshine. Gold. Surfing. Yeah. Surfing. Um, it, it, are, Ian, are you playing? No. Oh, okay. No, it's, I've it's, done it's not this. a game. You don't play research. it. It's an activity. <laughs> it's not a game. It's an activity. There are no points and no one wins except bridge. for the lit heads. What did Golden, you say? Golden Bridge. Golden Bridge, Golden good. Bridge, good. Um, um, LA. Serial killers. You, and also, you can't just name cities. Oh, what? <laughs> I, I know so many cities. Earthquakes. Back to me again, huh? Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. Um, ocean. Wine. Good. Grapes. Ah. <laughs> trees. Big trees. Oh, nice one. Nice one. Good. Mm-hmm. good. Temp- temper- temperate weather. <laughs> okay, good, 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 Expensive. Yeah. Oh, all right. All right. That's... That's legit. I mean, Um, you you can have two more hiking. hiking. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Interesting. Um, Uh, California raisins. Oh, good. And one of them playing a trombone. Beach Boys. Nick, your last one. Beach Boys. Beach Boys. Danny Tanner. Paris Hilton. Oh, oh, we're still going. Uh, You guys didn't mention Hollywood. 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 Hollywood movies. Area sports. I told Joe no cities. That's true. Well, okay. Hollyweird. Um, Hollyweird. Oh, that's funny. I would say that. So Didion writes this book. Uh, she writes, she writes these essays. She publishes these essays between 1961 and 1969. The, these, these are accounts of her experiences uh, and her reflections on California and California adjacent things in the, the decade of the sixties. And she's writing in an era when the, 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 hmm, the mystique of California is well established. The stories have been told. So like a lot of the stuff that you guys are talking about already are mythic. And what she's doing, what I love, love about this book is that she is writing a book about California, which is not really interested in reinforcing those myths. She is not retelling stories. She is, she's kind of filling in the blank spaces that you know exist, but you haven't really thought that much about. So she talks about the hot, dry Central Valley. She talks about Sacramento and Monterey. She talks about not Death Valley National Park, but kind of beside Death Valley National Park and the people who live there. Howard Hughes has a command center in Los Angeles. Joan Baez runs a school for nonviolence. There are pseudo intellectuals and radical Marxists and quiet suburban murders in San Bernardino. And then she kind of gets the the sort of the, some of the surrounding countryside. So she goes to Mexico, she goes to Las Vegas, she goes to Hawaii, and she's not thinking about all of these things as glitzy or glamorous, but as helping to fill out or develop a vision of California. She's not retelling the same stories we've always heard. What year is it? Between 1960 and 1969. I think it's actually like 61 through 68, but it's the sixties. Ooh, that's peak serial killer time. 
Well, I think it's just before the serial killer <laughs> that boom. you knew about. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Joe says they were invented in 71. You bet they were doing it in the 60s. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's just when they got caught. Yeah. Well, yeah, they had, had to build a resume. They've been serial killing since the gold rush. <laughs> <laughs> Probably so. Probably, Probably so. so. But when it was Native Americans, nobody counted those. those oh, dark. But that's well, true. Hey, talk about Yosemite. Yosemite was like Yosemite was built on literally er- eradicating the native tribes that lived there and just like Joe didn't cover that. No, no I didn't. Um, Shame. John Muir has some problematic takes on Native Americans. Oh, <laughs> oh no. In the book, too. And in general, well, is he canceled? Oh uh, he, no, no, he's not. He's <laughs> not like outspoken. Joe, you know the rule. You have to bring up if they're canceled or not. That's, That's the no, rule. I don't we can't, John Muir is not canceled. He has like national parks named after him. You can't there. let us sit there and be like, man, this guy sounds great. And meanwhile, they, he was a secret Nazi. No, secret genocidist. He, oh, no, he actually mostly talks about Native Americans as like, as like, okay. ah, the Native Americans, like those proud and noble people, like mm. they're, they're pretty much not around anymore. It's kind of when he's coming around. Like, he's like, they're pretty much gone. Mm-hmm. But boy, weren't they awesome. Because they've been murdered. Anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> what Didion does in this book is give you snapshots of a California, which nobody really has talked about. Uh, well, at least when she published this, it's a it's a whole California. It's not just the high points that you guys named in your in your exhaustive word association list. It's the spaces in between. And it's not. This is the thing I love about it. It's not a sensationalist account. So she's not saying, hey, look, mm-hmm. these parts of California are just as cool and amazing as as the stuff, you know, she's she's quiet. She's meditative. She's unexpected. There's there's one one of my favorite essays in this whole thing. It's really short. She goes to the island of Alcatraz. Has either of you been? Have either of you been to Alcatraz? Um, as a as a young lad, I oh, really explored. No, I was also like I was a kid when I was Wait, there. Really? Where all the murderers yeah. and rapists were. My my family brought me. It was a fun little trip. Mm-hmm. It's a really when I when I went with my family. It's a great family spot. Oh my god, just a beautiful family little little family trip. If you ever are looking for just a a great the educational, rock. yeah, I had go to the amazing, rock. Amazing conversations with my family about like retributive justice and the idea of like putting someone in solitary. How old were you? Oh, I was mm-hmm. in my teens. We, it was, it was, you know. But so she goes, <laughs> I was like five. <laughs> you might, no, I, I, I was also like, in That might work teens. better for teenagers than for a five year old. Um, so she, uh, uh, nowadays it's a park. It's, it's been parkified. It was, it was uh, added, it was given to the Department of the, of the Interior in 72 and turned into a park in 86. She it was closed in 63 and it was occupied by Native American protesters in 69. She goes there between the closing and the occupation when there are just a couple just there's just like a single caretaker who lived to sorry, two caretakers who live and work on the island. They close it and they left like food on the tables. They left like all of the stuff. She talks about like the tear gas vents are rusting. It's just this eerie, spooky, cool, beautiful description of a place which is sensationalist, but she's not sensationalizing it. She's saying this is a this is a place that is beautiful outside of time. So her goal in this book is filling in the blank spaces on the map. I think she does an amazing job. Yeah, the deep cuts. This is like California deep cuts. Yeah, like hey, you should appreciate the the more nuanced work. Yeah, that's a really I like that way of thinking. By it. it's like she's like you all know I, I don't need to talk about Hollywood, and she has an essay about John Wayne where she's like I'm not going to talk about like Hollywood stories 
Um, we're going to we're going to go visit Wayne on the set of one of the last movies he made after he got cancer. And um, we're going to like we're going to show you his human side and the way he's kind of like really old and fat now. And it's just going to be it's going to be not what you're looking, not what you're expecting, but mm. you're going to be surprised by how incredible it is, how delightful it is. How many little stories are there? There are, I think it's, or I think chapters. the number is, the number is, is 21 somewhere in there. Uh, most of them are quite short. A few of them are, let's see. Yeah. 20, 25, somewhere in there. Some mm-hmm. of them are very, very short, couple of pages. Um, some of them are, are much longer. So the, 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 the essay that is her title essay, um, slouching towards Bethlehem is quite long um it's about she goes to um hate ashbury during the mid to late 60s when the counterculture stuff was happening that's quite long there are a couple other longer ones but most of them are are fairly short and they're just so diverse you know she'll skip from talking about um talking about death valley and people diving in underground hot springs to talking about Howard Hughes, to talking about Joan Baez. It's just like, it's just hopscotch. It's all of there's It's all over the place. And she published these, uh, uh, she published these in other, in, in magazines, in weekly or, or monthly magazines. And they're collected here as this, as this volume. Uh, so what's the, what's the name? What's, what's in the name? So the name is from uh, a poem, one of my favorite poems. Joe, are you familiar with, with um, the second coming? No. Yates. Um, nope. I'm not going to read the whole poem because it's a little bit on the long side. <laughs> Show you uncultured. <laughs> Sorry, Philistine. It's, it's, a, it's a poem. It's a poem written just after World War One. Bring him anywhere. Um, this this Irish poet William <laughs> Butler Yates is basically like, well, everything sucks now. He's seen World War One. He's like, this is miserable. And he writes this grim poem about how human beings are kind of tearing each other apart. The, um, he says, the best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Oh, He's God. A ton of amazing, like, grim lines. And the end of this poem, he has this kind of trance vision. He says, I have this image of the second coming. A vast image out of Spiritus Mundi troubles my sight. Somewhere in the sands of the desert, a shape with lion body and the head of a man. A gaze blank and pitiless as the sun is moving its slow thighs while all about it real shadows of the indignant desert birds. The darkness drops again, but now I know that twenty centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. And what rough beast, its hour come round at last, slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. He's like, the end of the world is coming, and we have brought it on ourselves. So, Didion... Yes, Nick. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> it's oh, it's, it's it's incredible. He he writes this, you know, twenty five years before uh, we we make the atomic bomb. Uh, Didion uh, introduces her her title essay, "Slouching Towards Bethlehem," saying like everyone is talking about the the Haight Ashbury counterculture hippie movement as this beautiful utopian thing. I kind of felt like it was it was pretty pretty dreadful, and I went there and I looked, and sure enough, here's like a five year old on LSD. Yeah. Um, here is like rampant uh, sexual violence and rampant like abuse by the police. And just like, it's, it's so bad, but they're also human beings at the center of this. And they're interesting and funny and kind of sad and kind of cool. And so she, she presents her perspective as 
this image of a world progressing towards a conclusion yeah. that doesn't quite match what everyone else thinks. Everyone else thinks California, the golden dream. Tell us, like, what, what did you learn? Well, but I think it's, I like, think before what, Ian gets there, I think it's wild. Because like, well, because you guys, Nick, you've been to California. Yes, I have, Joe. Since you were five years, old. five years old. I went to Alcatraz. I've established that. <laughs> no, no, no. Since then, since then, since then. <laughs> I was a bad kid. I think like that's kind of the thing about California even today. Like when you go to California, it is two. Well, it's, it's a million things, right? But two things stand out. Number one, it is one of the most beautiful, temperate, impressive places you've ever seen in your life, right? Like it is absolutely shocking. I remember when I was there as an adult, like my wife and I went there a few years ago as on, on a little coastal road trip. And when we got to San Diego, I literally remember sitting there and thinking, oh, I get it. Yeah. Like, I get yeah. why California yeah. is a big deal, right? Like, I suddenly understand. But also, like, I think of, like, parts of L.A. that we went through. I think of parts of San Francisco that went, we went through where we see, like, essentially shanty towns. I mean, massive addiction, right? Like, kind of tragedy of the common yeah. sort of stuff. And you think, oh, is California actually a hellhole? I, I, I can't right. tell. I can't right. tell if it's the most impressive place in, on Earth or a, 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 a wretched uh slime villainy uh most eisley what's the quote right, right. yeah <laughs> don't tell him <laughs> a uh, wretched so, pit of slime Joe, and this villainy be the duality of man mm-hmm. well i don't know Ian, um, Ian read the book is would this book be better if it was the 60s do we also need to time travel to appreciate your book uh, no good question I, i'm glad you asked that because that's I kind was, of a specific audience yeah oh absolutely it, it very mm-hmm. much so, so i was concerned as i started this i'm like okay she wrote these in the 60s they're very of their moment yeah. But um, this, this is and this is a really interesting time in California. The Red Scare is kind of over, but so is the prosperity of the 50s. This is fl- the flower power area era like Vietnam is ramping up in the, the later uh, years of this or throughout <laughs> this throughout this decade. Um, she is part of the new journalist movement, part yeah. of the new journalism. Oh, so. ju- Ian, <laughs> why are you waiting wow, this long to wow, drop wow, that, wow. that little tasty nugget? You know, we love new, new journalism on this show. Mm. Yep. Tom Wolf, the greatest Tom. form she's, of writing. She's got, <laughs> form of she's got an essay, which I was feel like I, I haven't read um, fear and loathing in Las Vegas, but the way she kind of talks about like driving into Las Vegas and seeing sort of like the, the decadence, but also the opportunity. It's, it's hers is all about wedding chapels. This essay about Las Vegas wedding is incredible. And I was, I was like, okay, she's trying to do a Hunter S. Thompson thing here. Mm-hmm. Um, not just with the, the subject matter, but with the way that she's engaging with this, this Mecca. So she's doing new journalism and she is, she yeah. is using kind of the novelistic snapshot approach. It is funny. It is depressing. It is terrifying. It's grim. It's sweet. It's impossible to ignore the fact that this is written in the 60s, you know, reading mm-hmm. in 2023. But the observations that she makes about people, mm-hmm. about the way people think about myth, th- this is really interested in myth. By her saying, I'm not going to focus on the California myths, she's narrating other people's interactions with the California myths. And these observations are somehow timeless which I think I was, I was blown away by. And I think this is a, a sign of like really good historical writing. Historic, history, good historical writing about people doesn't say, look how weird they were. Look how different they were. Yeah, the best historical writing about people says they're not so different from us. 
This is our trope of the week. The trope wow, of the week is wow, 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 wow. thank you. Just the the trope is just like us. Usually, this is applied to like <laughs> you have an enemy and then you discover oh they're more like you than. But anytime we we think of others, the other um, people, the out group, people who are not us. We want to imagine that Them. they are, well, they're weird and different and we are better than they were. But when we're forced to confront them the way she does in this book, she forces us to, to look at our historical forebears in the face. We see, oh, yeah, like they're thinking about social climbing the way we would think about social climbing. They have um, nimbyism. They have corruption. They have mm-hmm. hope the same way we do. And she manages to be engaging, but also very, very truthful, which I think is a bonkers balance to hit. Gentlemen, uh, welcome to Tiffany's, a safe place for you to tell me all the bad things about your book and it won't be held against you. Joe, I want you to go first. Yeah, absolutely. I talked about how John Muir excels at the level of the sentence in this book. And uh, you guys heard an implied but there, right? It is, he excels at the level of a sentence. There are moments in this book that are absolutely beautiful. When he's writing these books, though, he is writing very much to convince an audience somewhere else that the net, that the that Yosemite and parks like it are divine, right? Are, are, are gods, are Edens on earth. His language is nonstop effusive through here. And the oh. end result. Too, he's too, he's a try hard. And what is, and what, and what does that word mean? It just means like, he is just like, he gushes about everything. He's like, let me tell you about this tree. Uh, it's the best fucking tree I ever saw. Let me tell you about this rock. Let me tell you about this bird. It's my favorite bird. It's an amazing bird. You should love this bird, right? This and, bird is and, showing and, me the soul of God, people. This bird, yeah, like, no, you don't get it. It doesn't just have a beautiful song. I see the divine in this bird, right? All right, Ian, your turn. Well, then the result is that it gets wearing. It's annoying. Like, it, yeah, I know. I it, got it's that. It's not just it was annoying, annoying it to even hear like, about you gush about his gushing. <laughs> That's how much I'm annoyed, Ian. So that's it. It's hard to sustain for 300 pages. Ooh, 300. Um, <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> I guess my my Tiffany's is that she every now and then just says, "I'm gonna talk about morality now," and I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm well, sure. Let's take a break for Jesus. <laughs> well, actually, she's she's got a she's got a pretty nihilistic view of morality. I'm sure. I'm sure if I like studied it, I could connect it. Like I could see like the thought process of like where we get from California's Big Sur coast to morality to Death Valley. But I, reading it in a week for you don't know that I was like, bah, what that. Okay. <laughs> it sounds uh-huh. like both of these books maybe not great to rush through. <laughs> yeah, it, it, my, my book does invite you. I one of the things I was thinking as I read this book, I teach a book a class in American literature, and I was like, boy, I would love to bring in a little John Muir. Like, I like this feels like such like an, an interesting moment. There's a moment where he meets Ralph Waldo Emerson. Like Ralph Waldo Emerson goes to California, Sorry, and bad. people are like. You got to meet John Muir. Like he is the transcend uh, the, the eyeball that you've been talking about. Like he is the translucent eyeball that you've been talking about. When Ralph Waldo Emerson meets John Muir. John Muir says, "How about you come camping in Yosemite for me with me for a few days?" They go to Yosemite, and at the end of it, Emerson's like, "We would like you to teach at Harvard." Like, we want you to come back and teach at Harvard. And John Muir is like, yeah, I'm not leaving Yosemite. <laughs> I can see wow. God right over there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, try this LSD. Uh, <laughs> yep. And there's the unifying factor. 
you and you lose. Yeah, mm. it sounds Joe, your book sounds slightly insufferable, but I've I think I'd want to read some of his writing. It sounds mm. very compelling and but Ian, mm. your book sounds uh, uh they, these both sound great. The sign of a good book when I immediately begin conspiring how to teach it. And I'm yep. absolutely gonna gonna <laughs> weave in some some Joan Didion into my um Litheads, I would strongly encourage you pick up some Joan Didion. She is digestible and she does not talk about how she sees God and everything. Uh, <laughs> if, uh, that sounds insufferable to you. You can, Litheads, you can uh, head on over and camp out at our website and suggest uh, themes to us, oh, books. Explore or, the unexplored Litheads. Or some combination thereof. Uh, maybe you can get into an unholy cabal with two other Litheads and come up with a theme and a couple of books. Um, you can uh, like and share and so, so on and so forth on all of our niche um social media you can uh recommend us to bookish friends most importantly let heads you can read some books yourself oh i like that just read, read a, book a book and then read a book it. and then recommend it yeah and then mm. recommend it i have a short passage here about john Muir climbing a big tree during a thunderstorm <laughs> he says after cautiously casting about, I made a choice of the tallest of a group of Douglas spruces that were growing close together like a tuft of grass, no one of which seemed likely to fall unless all the rest fell with it. Though comparatively young, they were about 100 feet high and their lithe brushy tops were rocking and swirling in wild ecstasy. Being accustomed to climb trees and making botanical studies, I experienced no difficulty in reaching the top of this one and never before did I enjoy so noble an exhilaration of motion. <laughs> the slender tops fairly flapped and swished in the passionate torrent, bending and swirling backward and forward, round and round, tracing indescribable combinations of vertical and horizontal curves, while I clung with muscles firm-braced like a bobo link on a reed. In its wildest sweeps, my tree described an arc from 20 to 30 degrees, but I felt sure of its elastic, elastic temper, having seen others of the same species still more severely tried, bent almost to the ground, in heavy snows without breaking a fiber. I was there for safe and free to take the wind into my pulses and enjoy the excited forest from my superb outlook. The view from here must be extremely beautiful in any weather and now my eye roved over the piney hills and dales as over fields of waving grain and I felt the light running in ripples and broad swelling undulations across the valley from ridge to ridge as the shining foliage was stirred by corresponding waves of air. Oftentimes, these waves of reflected light would break up suddenly into a kind of beaten form, and again, after chasing one another in regular order, they would seem to bend forward in concentric curves and disappear on some hillside, like sea waves on a shelving shore. The quantity of light reflected from bent needles was so great as to make whole groves appear as if covered with snow, while black shadows beneath the trees greatly enhanced the effect of the silverly splendor. Mm.